Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. So I think one of the most American things, I suppose, Mm -hmm. and maybe slightly country, Midwestern things that I have ever done now is attend a tractor (laughs) slash truck pull. Yes. (laughs) That was awesome. My word. So Kristen and I, as you all saw on, and as we talked about on the show last week, but we had the opportunity to go to the Iowa State Fair. It was super fun, as we said. And as you saw, we we ate lots of crazy foods and it was wild. Uh, But on the second day we were there, we got to visit or attend this tractor pull. And Kristen, I had heard of tractor pulls and I thought it was just a lot of hay in the back (laughs) of a tractor. And they were like, oh man, how fast can that tractor go? No, 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 no. This is like monster truck racing meets NASCAR meets a rodeo. And it was (laughs) wild. (laughs) No, I mean, it was pretty awesome. Um, I I joined you a little late, but um, when we got there, I mean, the smoke in the sky, like the the force and momentum needed to pull some of these uh, payloads, if we're going yeah. to use some NASA terminology there here, you go. Um, was actually insane. And the, the noise, oh my gosh, I could, it was just so loud. You knew something was going on before you even entered the arena. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. Well, we have we have a video up um, on the Problem Equipment Instagram that shows a little bit of it. And I think we have another video that's going to come out. But we just had a great time getting awesome. to talk to locals and the people that were there and, you know, find out a little bit about them, why they do what they do, why they enjoy this. Not your average day at the office, but it was really Yeah, fun. I mean, I think what was so cool, too, and refreshing even um, – it reminded me gro- of growing up, honestly, because we didn't talk about politics that much. I probably, I mean, my parents, my sister, they're always like, why are you making this about politics? And it was just nice to go back to, you know, kind of our roots. And yes, we did ask about electric vehicles and, yes. you know, could an electric tractor work? And it was fun hearing everyone say no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was super nice just to, you know, um, chill out and, and just not have to focus too, too much on politics. It was. It was kind of refreshing and fun. It was yeah. just fun. But we do, we want to give a little bit of just a quick, quick update before we dive into today's show, because within the past week, there has been a lot of conversation about the abortion pill. And you all have probably heard by now that there was a, a pretty major ruling on it. So I want to give just a, a quick update so you ladies stay informed. But essentially what happened is that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has just issued a ruling that really maintains essentially the status quo on the abortion pill, meaning that medical professionals have to be the ones to prescribe them to a woman, to a pregnant woman. Um, And this means that no, there can be no mail order abortions, that those abortion pills cannot be sent to women via mail. Ultimately, What is going to happen next is that the Supreme Court is expected to weigh in. So right now, this is uh, this is significant because we want women to be protected. We want them to be safe. And it's really unsafe when abortion pills are mailed to the male, obviously, because it takes the life of the baby in the womb. But also there's way less safeguards for women to know how far along they are in pregnancy. It's really dangerous to use abortion pills when you're too far along in pregnancy um, and it just creates a, a large avenue for there to be exceeded complications if women are, are ordering these pills and they're being delivered by mail and they're taking them at home. And so ultimately, the Supreme Court's going to weigh in. We will keep you all posted on that. That's going to be probably later in the fall. We'll learn more about when they're hearing the case and all those details. So we will keep you all up to date. But Kristen, we have kind of a unique show today, yeah. a little bit different. We're doing something slightly different to what we did last week. But let us know what we have on deck here. I am so excited for today's show. It is very different, but it's just so powerful what we're talking about today. Up on today's Problematic Women, we are asking the question, what it means to be feminine? Samantha Kelly is the founder and president of Fierce Athlete, an organization that works with female athletes to not only empower them as athletes on the field or the court, but unpack what it means to embrace femininity as an athlete in a world where women who break the traditional mold are often put in a box as lesbians or trans. Samantha and her colleague, Tracy Garrett, are joining us today to share their stories and explain how Fierce Athlete is supporting females across America. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. 
Each week on Problematic Women, we sort the news to find those stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's go ahead and bring our guests on and get to it. Well, it was about three weeks ago that Kristen and I were invited to a lunch here at the Heritage Foundation with two women who founded and, and worked for this group called Fierce Athlete. And it was about five minutes into hearing you all speak that I thought, okay, we have to have them on Problematic Women. So Tracy Gret and Samantha Kelly, thank you both so much for being with us today. Absolutely. It's a gift to be here. Thank you for having us. Well, this is going to be a fun conversation because when when you all spoke at Heritage, you just kind of shared your hearts of where where we stand right now in in the world of women's sports, where the challenges women are facing. And this is a world that you all know really intimately because you grew up as female athletes. So I want to start there because I think you both have such interesting stories. Uh, And just if you all would just share a little bit about the sports that you played growing up, what that was like, the experiences that you had. So Sam, I'll start with you. And then Tracy, I would love to hear a little bit of your background as well. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I feel like women's sports today is the focus of a lot of people. And there's a lot of focus on the negative going on, which I'm sure we'll get to because we have some opinions. But sport was so invaluable, I would say, in my own upbringing. You know, one of my favorite quotes is that sport is the gymnasium for human virtue or character, right? And I can say I am the woman I am today because of the adversity and things that I faced in sport growing up. So I grew up in Connecticut, was a tri-sport athlete in high school, won nine state championships uh, between soccer, ice hockey, and track. I was actually a a pretty big track star um, running on the same track where in more recent years, men have been allowed to run uh, winning state championships on that same track, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But I, I, ha- I had a love for soccer. Soccer was really my passion and my love. I loved the team aspect of it. I loved the game. I just, I grew up, my dad was a college soccer player. My sister played college soccer. So we were just this very competitive family and it was what we we kind of spent our free time doing. You know, we were just athletic and we still to this day, I mean, I was out on the pickleball court last night with my parents getting my butt kicked by them. You know, like we 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 just have this culture <laughs> in our family of of activity and sport and and good competition. So it was a dream of mine to play Division 1 soccer and as the local Connecticut kid and I, Kate, Tracy can relate to this getting the opportunity to play at your state university is, is a big deal. And um, so I got the opportunity to play at mm-hmm. soccer at UConn, which is a top 25 program. Going into that experience, though, I had a really, really significant knee injury. Um, I tore my ACL, LCL, and meniscus. And they told me I'd never play again. And, you know, as someone who would have at that point in, the, in time labeled themselves as primarily an athlete, that was a huge just – um, dagger to my identity. And in, in many regards, I didn't know who I was without sport. Long story short, I did end up coming back from that injury. It took three surgeries and really three years of rehab and you know working with the UConn doctors and getting to play. But it was in that time that I, I really discovered that I'm so much more than my sport. I possess other gifts and talents. And, and I really had a, a kind of a reversion, if you will, a a really intense interaction with God, um, realizing that I wasn't loved because of all of my talents. I just was loved. Now, he delighted in the fact that I could play this incredible sport, but it became about honoring him and honoring my team and loving my team and being grateful just for the opportunity to to be able to compete. And so that kind of sent me uh, on the trajectory of of what we do now, fighting for women and fighting for their true identity and helping them realize that there's so much more than just their stats or their coach's opinion or what the culture in this day and age is saying about them as female athletes. Um, so that's what's kind of given me that motivation forward. That's huge. I love that. Wow. I just, I think it's so neat to have 
that marker moment, right, of the Lord spoke to your heart. It's like you're more you're more than just the sports that you play. I think that's beautiful. And those are the moments you just never forget that. When you said knee injury too, I could totally relate. I Oof. tore both my ACLs. And it was like within that same three-year-ish period. Uh, it's like as I recovered fully from one, the next one I had to go in and tear. So um, totally understand what you mean. God has a plan. And sometimes it's to remind us um, that you are so much more in this world than than the sport itself. Because I mean, I just think a lot of athletes already are struggling with that. So that was beautiful. Thank you for yeah, sharing sure. that. Yeah. Tracy, was was your story similar to Sam's? It, it is. I think uh, we share a lot of similarities in the fact that I think a lot of time athletes could be overachieving. And I think, you know, from a young age, I had this like checklist of things I want to accomplish in my lifetime and playing division one sports was one of them. And so that checklist kind of became my identity. And as I checked things off the list, you know, it kind of like gave me my self-worth and my confidence and my motivation. But yeah, so I'm from a small little town in Northern Maine. Uh, it's actually very French. We're on the border of Canada, very French, very Catholic, surprisingly. And so just this like little hub of like Catholic community, um, which was a blessing growing up. And same thing as Sam, uh, my aspirations were to play Division One sports. And I was very blessed. You know, my parents didn't play sports. They actually both grew up on potato farms. So I grew up around farms, around my, I have two older brothers, uh, around many cousins who are boys. Um, and so just kind of like that, that hard work ethic um, and determination, dedication, commitment was instilled within me from my parents, but they also supported me in anything that I did. And so I think, you know, I think being athletic is such a gift from God and my parents just saw that and fostered it in me and were so supportive. So I played like all sports growing up. I was in Taekwondo. Uh, I was just speaking to my father about this. He taught me how to ski when I was four. Wow. Um, just kind of just, you know, very, very active. And, and I think they put me in sports because I was so active. And so, yeah, my aspirations were to play Division One basketball. So I did. I stayed in the state. Um, the University of Maine was very good at that time. They're really competitive. Uh, they were winning the conference, making the NCAA tournament. And, you know, so that was my dream was to have Maine across my chest mm -hmm. and, and stay in the state. And so by the grace of God, I was able to play at Maine. And so not only, you know, division one basketball, but I also wanted to be a doctor. So it's kind of like thinking of the best thing that I could possibly achieve was like division one basketball, you know, pre-med. And I think, and I think, uh, by God's grace, by many prayers and, you know, a consecration to our lady, the Lord just really gently kind of took down those idols in my life, uh, that I had. Um, and so, yeah, I struggled with my identity, you know? when you're not doing well in school, like where's your self-worth lie? Yeah. Uh, same thing on the basketball court. You know, I could have the best practice or have my coach's affirmation um, and feel great about myself. And then the next day, just my coaches were really hard on me and I just desired that relationship with them. Um, it's something that I never really got. And that's why I'm so passionate about coaching right now. But, uh, but yeah. And so just, I think the Lord just really taught me that my self-worth, um, just my love, uh, my identities in Christ. I'm a daughter of the father. Uh, and he really just taught me that through basketball. And so sports for me is just, it continues to be just this crucible for my conversion and my sanctification. Mm -hmm. And I see that now as a coach, I think coaching, same thing. It's just, it's a wonderful platform for ministry um, to really make a difference in the lives of these young women, um, but also for my own sanctification, you know, and my own growth and holiness and closeness to, to the Lord. Yeah. That's so true. And, and I, the coaching aspect is huge, which is why I think you guys both have such interesting perspectives on how women's sports has changed since um, being in, you know, high school and college. Um, can you guys talk a little bit maybe more about that? And Tracy, I'd love the coaching perspective from you on that as well. Uh, yeah, I, you know, Sam and I talk about this often, you know, I think John Wooden says that a coach makes more of a difference in, in his lifetime than a person does. Uh, you know, just because of that influence that you have, I think the two most important words in a, in a young athlete's life is coach says. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's such like a privilege uh, and it's a vocation as well. And, you know, I think even high school or college level, uh, it's just an opportunity, you know, to, to really, to really build into these young women, just to love them. I think, I, I think back to, to myself as an athlete and like I mentioned, I just wanted the affirmation and love of my coach. You know, I just wanted that close relationship with them. And, and initially when I first started coaching at the college level specifically, so I coached high school varsity division three and division one. But I remember when I started coaching at the college level, I thought that I had to be the way my coaches were to me, which, 
it wasn't always a good experience for me. Um, you know, I think sometimes coaches can look at young athletes uh, as something of utility, meaning, you know, your livelihood as a college coach is winning and losing. So if you don't win, unfortunately, you get fired. And I think coaches have that perspective a lot of the time versus, wow, uh, it's a privilege and a responsibility. And these are the young women that the God has given me to really build up into young women of virtue, prepare them for their vocations in life and just really make a difference in their lives and just to love them, to have that relationship with them. And so I remember as a college coach, when I understood that, when I actually let the, my players get to know me, you know, I knew they, they got to know Christ. And so it just kind of flipped um, coaching for me personally. Uh, and it was such a blessing. And and one of the reasons why I love coaching is because I love my athletes so much. And it's just kind of allowing the Lord to, to, to pour his love into my heart and then have that overflow into my athletes love. And, and God's love is powerful and it just, you know, changes their lives yeah, um, in a positive way. That's, that's amazing. And so I guess like go, kind of going off of that, then for, this is a question for both of you. Do you see the coaching aspect having a role at all in how, um, women's sports has changed over time. Like we're now seeing this, you know, transgender push, um, have allowing biological men to participate in women's sports. Do you at all see that being, um, you know, the athletic organization or the coaching, um, enabling that to happen? Sure. I, I think it's a factor. I mean, I think there's a lot of factors as to why, um, women's mm -hmm. sports is under attack, you know, I haven't really seen any coaches step up and say this is wrong. Interestingly, I mean, we look at the the women, O'Reilly Gaines, Paula Scanlon, you know, we look at those women who have stepped up and, and they're athletes. And I think it would be valuable for this movement for coaches to begin to speak up. Now, coaches, and I, I think to know maybe fall to their own are, are pretty risk averse. So right? Their job is on the line. Now we know legally they're protected, um, but they don't know that. And that's one of the things that we're actually starting to educate coaches on is, no, you have freedom of speech and you can actually say something and put your foot down and you don't have to have a pride night where your athletes wear pride jerseys. You know, all these things that coaches are being pushed to do, you don't just have to sit back and accept, you know, a, a, a trans athlete coming onto your team, you know? So we're, we're trying to help working with some lawyers and things and trying to help coaches just know their rights, know what they can do. I think it's such an uncharted territory, but I think that aside, there's this, and I think it's the result of um, parenting today, the result of social media. I've seen a shift in sport from being about the team to being about the individual player. Oh, interesting. You know, I'm a UConn alum, so I'm not saying Gino Oriama is the, the, best man, but he's the most successful basketball coach of all time. And one of his quotes, you know, a couple of years ago, he was in a post-game interview and he started talking about, you know, he'll show up to these recruiting tournaments. So AAU tournaments, and there'll be these, all these kids walking around with all this swag, like I'm the best. And he goes, I won't recruit that kid because when that kid gets on the court, it's all about her and it's all about her showing off. She goes, I, I won't recruit that type of kid. I want the kid that's a team player. You know, I want the kid that's, mm -hmm. it's not all about her. And so I think coaches, yeah, unfortunately have had a part in that. I think a lot of parenting, a lot of the kind of the self-centered, it's all about me, social media culture, but it's also created, and Tracy, you can speak more into this, but it's created a, a challenge, I think, for coaches these days. The way you have to coach a kid today is different than even five years ago, different than 10 years ago. And so it's a really, it's a really interesting environment right now. Hmm. Yeah, it's really, it is really interesting. I'm thinking as you're speaking, Sam, um, you know, being home, I'm able to, I work remotely from Maine, but I'm able to help out with my alma mater high school team. Uh, so it's a small, you know, small school anyway, uh, their varsity basketball team. And it's interesting because it's really, you're coaching the parents. Mm. So it's an, it's really, you're, it, I guess it's allowing myself as a coach to really have open and honest conversations to parents, because I think, you know, the parents are kind of not justifying the behavior, but I think, yeah, social media, it's where we are in our culture and things like that, but help, helping the parents understand, uh, you know, the ways to coach this young lady and prepare her to, to be more selfless. And, you know, we talk about authentic femininity and what that looks like, virtue, selflessness, generosity on a team. And I think it's, it's a big education piece with parents as well. So as, as you kind of all have experienced just watching and beholding kind of like shifts and changes within women's sports, um, 
Sam, for you as as the founder of Fierce Athlete, when did it just become so apparent? Like, okay, what's happening is not okay, and we need an organization like Fierce Athlete that will support the players, um, support families, and help young women navigate the challenges of women's sport. I don't know if I would have named it at the time um, or knew that this would be my response at the time, but my freshman year of college, I mean, I showed up, we were hazed, you know, a third of our team Mm. was quote unquote lesbian and would, would try to convince you that you were too. I mean, these are, these were completely new, just environmental experiences. Like I I had never been exposed to that. Um, Just the toxic party. And what year was that? 2007. So, and, okay. Wow. This is a yeah, while and, ago. This has been going oh, on for a long time. Yeah. And I mean, those issues have always been apparent in women's sports. I mean, I think obviously the, the transgender issue is, is new, but I mean, it's statistically proven that college athletes party more, drink more than the normal student population. You know, it's like this, just this, this pressure gauge, like you're under so much pressure and under so much scrutiny. Um, and even more so today with social media. And I mean, any college team has like media day and video content on you and, you know, they follow you on social media and it's just a lot. Now you can get sponsors. Um, there's a lot of pressure and that the way that athletes let that out is just unhealthy relationships. Um, you know, we, we had girls on our team struggling with eating disorders and it was kind of like, hush, hush, don't talk about it. You know, um, you know, the, the drinking, so it, so then it was like this whole new world and trying, you know, I, I grew up Catholic, trying to maintain my foundation of values amidst that culture was really hard. And, you know, by my sophomore year, it's like, oh, I guess I'll start drinking because I was the only girl on the team that didn't. And, and you just start to kind of slowly become more accustomed to that culture. And God really took me out of that, but not before some damage was done. A lot more damage could have been done looking at how I was preserved from some of these movements um, but when I kind of, again, had that experience where I realized my identity, identity is as daughter of God, and there is truth and there is right and wrong that I can fall back on, I looked back at my team and I just saw the brokenness. I just saw the desire for love. Like we all desire love, but how unfulfilled these women were. And, you know, I, I went on to, to work with a missionary organization that served college athletes which also was great. I was working at University of Texas. I mean, national champion level athletes. But I kept hitting these these problems. Like I kept hitting these identity crises, these very you know serious issues that women were struggling with. And when I left that organization, I just saw that while there were a lot of great Catholic and Christian organizations out there, none were female specific. And admittedly, None were willing, because I've talked to them, willing to talk about the hard issues, willing to talk about the same-sex attraction, the party culture, now the transgender issue. You know, a lot are fearful to speak out. And those were the things that I needed to hear about. I needed to learn about my true identity, my true femininity, my true worth. Um, And so it was just this moment of like, well, there's nothing else out there. God, like, let's do this. You know, I felt a very strong call to just, I mean, it's totally the athlete mentality. Kristen, you can relate. You know, it's like all of us strong women, right? It's like, you you just, okay, here's a problem. Like, I'm going to start an organization, though I have no idea how to do that. And that was, you know, seven years ago. And here we are. So it's been blessed. And as we're seeing, there's just this, as the culture's continuing to kind of pivot, and I'd say in the wrong direction in a lot of ways, it's like, wow, I'm glad we're in this space now. For both of you, as you are both athletes and now as you're journeying with female athletes, where do you think so much of that culture within female sports stems from, that negative culture, the partying and the what what does that um, spring up from? Because you know you think about athletes and they are under tremendous pressure, but they're also incredibly disciplined individuals. They've worked so hard to achieve where they, have come um, and the goals that they have reached. Um, but what are some of those sources as you all talk with young women that, you know, have led to just this rampant culture that can be really detrimental? 
as you're speaking, I'm thinking, yeah, I, I had the same sort of experience. I was in college from 98 to 2002. So I'm old. <laughs> and but things are, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, you, you kind of step into it was, it was a shock to me having come from just such an isolated community, um, just from devout Catholic family. Uh, but I really think I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking as you're speaking, you know, we have Title IX, and we have the push for um, equality with women's sports. But maybe, you know, just all, all the things that kind of came in the 60s and 70s and the 80s as well, um, mm-hmm. feminism, you know, like queer theory, like all those kinds of things that maybe had a lot to do with like that negative influence kind of getting into women's sports and like creating that sort of culture. Uh, you know, you think about like how we are, like Sam alluded to, you know, like this gift of femininity and, and that, that's our passion is to like help these women um, understand that gift and how we're made, you know, this receptivity, sensitivity, compassion, generosity, and how, you know, I think feminism might have come in and kind of deterred that and said, okay, you know, we're competing at this level, you're an athlete, you have to be like this, you have to be like a man, and maybe kind of that had this negative influence on the culture of sport, instead of really truly like, okay, I know for myself growing up, yeah, I'm very athletic, I was almost like an anomaly in my small town, <laughs> because I, I, I liked, you know, my, my best friends were boys, because they played sports, but I'm, I remember when I first got to college, it was like, wow, everybody else, you know, these are beautiful women and they're strong and they're athletic, but they're women. And so that was just such a blessing to me to understand that Uh, I could live out fully my femininity amongst like being, you know, like we say, a fierce athlete. Uh, So maybe that might've had, you know, a negative effect on our culture of sport and then fall in human nature. Right. I think if we don't understand, uh, you know, the truth about who we are and what we're made for, you talk about theology of the body and um, you know, this relationship with God and we're made for union with him. And, we, you know, we need to pursue lives of virtue and holiness. So if you don't have that as your focus, it's kind of easy to, to kind of veer off the path. And, you know, especially at the college level and in that environment, you're like in that environment as well. And so it's, you know, and athletes are under pressure and they might never want to release it in such a way. Yeah. And if they don't have a positive outlet, they can kind of fall in these other temptations. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. That's so interesting too, because that is something athletes always struggle with. I remember I struggled with it. And then I think Women's Health magazine back in 2019 or after maybe the World Cup before that, the Women's World Cup, uh, they did this really amazing article on Alex Morgan. And it was all about how she loved her body, even though, you know, her legs were huge and she couldn't fit into jeans. And, and that's kind of a joke we would have on my soccer team, at least, is, you know, our waists are too tiny and our thighs are huge. So we'd have to like size up in, in jeans. And that was kind of a point of pride. And I think that, you know, in the, the 2010 era, that was like where the sports was starting to go and then something happened and we pivoted towards this craziness that we're seeing with this social agenda. And I guess, you know, I was having those conversations only five or six years ago, and I'm not sure exactly what conversations y'all were having in the locker room. Um, But now today, what is it that you guys are seeing similar to that where, you know, women might be struggling with something and maybe it is a body image issue. How are you talking to women about this? And what are some of those common conversations happening with those women, female athletes that you're working with? I mean, I just these last four days was on a college campus working with three college sports teams. There's some common themes we see. I mean, again, we've talked a lot today about identity um, that's where we always start our formation because that's really where the crisis is, right? If we look at every major issue that female athletes are struggling with, or even in the culture, it's a lack of understanding of who we are as daughter, right? I don't have to earn my worth. I just am. I just am good. I just am loved. You know, I don't have to perform a certain way or prove to a coach or prove to a teammate or succumb to this peer pressure because that's all ways that I'm almost falsifying myself. Um, And so, yeah, that is just like the theme that I hit home primarily, but then I talk a lot about, okay, well, and then how do we live from that place? How do we live in freedom from knowing that we are loved, knowing that we are good? And we talk a lot about kind of the body soul union. Uh, We throw the mind in there. So we talk about developing athletes physically, mentally, and spiritually because they all relate to one another. You know, so I, I've spent a lot of time with women um, giving talks and, and mentoring them on just the, the goodness and the holiness and the sacredness of the human body. Um, as athletes, mm. it's interesting because you're hyper aware of your body. You're hyper aware of what it can do and can't do. Um, you're hyper aware that you can manipulate it, quote unquote, in certain ways in order to run faster, jump higher. Um, but the result of that can be a disassociation from the body, right? It's just something that I manipulate. 
you know, amongst women in general, 96% of women don't think they're beautiful. So there's just this disassociation. And my, my point to these women these last few days is if you don't have peace with your body, subconsciously, you're never going to be able to play your sport the best you can play because there's this lack of trust in, in who you are and your own goodness. And so talking a lot about that, um, we spend a lot of time just on mental toughness, right? And mental toughness, um, I bring it back to your identity, right? If, if you are in a game and you, and you fail, which happens in sport all the time, are you beating yourself up? Did your confidence completely crumble? And are you, you know, going down this deep, dark hole, which is the common response with women, especially, or do you come back to who you are? Do you have a statement? And then, I mean, none, none of that would really make sense without a spiritual life, without um, a relationship with God. And so, you know, however the woman acts out because of the pressure, whether that be an eating disorder or promiscuity or like a, almost a crippling perfectionism, mental health issues, helping them come back to who they are is just, it's been so key as, as we've experienced when we've worked with women on, on that journey to healing and integration. Hmm. One thing that, and you, you kind of touched on it now, but um, that I just really appreciated when you were at the Heritage Foundation and uh, we had lunch was just a, addressing the fact that all women are so different, right? And especially for female athletes, um, that don't fall into the stereotype of femininity, that can feel jarring and it becomes easier to believe the lie of, of you know, okay, I, I don't fit this stereotype of, um, you know, the women that I'm seeing portrayed in movies or magazines or, or whatever, or even among other friends. And so, you know, maybe I am lesbian or, or whatever that could look like, however that manifests or just feeling insecure, like, gosh, you know, I, I can't get guys to ask me out because I can lift more than <laughs> yep. them or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. So, I mean, how how do you all unpack that for for women to get them to a place where they can actually celebrate their bodies? Um, and I know that this gets in a little bit to theology of the body. I did a podcast interview on the Daily Signal podcast a little while ago and talked a little bit about theology of the body with Abigail Favalli uh, on her book, The Genesis of Gender. And uh, But I don't think we've ever talked about it here on Problematic Women. So share just a tiny bit about um, what is theology of the body and how do you all kind of bring that in to conversations as you're talking with female athletes who might be feeling uncomfortable about how their body looks or, or how it's designed. Sure. Yeah, we love this. Uh, this was this was one of the biggest inspirations for starting Fierce. I mean, I worked in ministry spaces for five years and um, it was encountering this teaching that that actually drove me to understand that I think that in many ways, this is the anecdote to the issues we deal with in female athletes, but also I think to our times because there's a lot of confusion today on identity, on the sexual difference and on the human body. And basically theology of the body to break that down is it's what is, what does the body reveal about God? And, you know, I, I pose the question to people, well, why did God create two sexes and only two sexes? And people are like, Oh, to procreate, which, okay. Yeah. That's part of the answer, but, but we're made in the image and likeness of God. And so this is, a, this is a super simple analogy, but when we think about, you know, as Christians, we believe that our God is Trinitarian so we believe that there's a father, son, and Holy Spirit. So very simply, right, the father loves the son. The son receives the love of the father because God is love. And that love is so powerful and so creative um, that we believe that the Holy Spirit, quote, proceeds from the father and the son. Now, similarly, now God respects the, the freedom of the human person. But man, in a very physical, emotional, spiritual way, has the capacity to love the woman. The woman receives the love of the man and gives that back. And again, God respects our freedom. But nine months later, right, that can result in a third. So the family unit, man, woman, child, is the greatest sign and icon within marriage we have of the Trinity. So one, just helping hu human beings understand the beauty of the sexual difference. But we take that a step further in that because male bodies and female bodies are different, that reveals that masculinity and femininity is different. And they're both good. Now, we have to be so, so careful with our language these days 
But if you think about it, like we're, we're a body soul union. And so the fact that I, Samantha was created biologically as a woman makes me feminine in my whole being. Like I just am. I, I, I can't even, yeah. I almost can't even deny it. Right. I can try, I can try to maybe deny it, but, but so often in our culture, we define masculinity and femininity by cultural norms, which shift and change, right? They're subjective where our masculinity and our femininity are, are basically objective to our, our biology. But my female body reveals, and Tracy kind of alluded to this earlier, right? The male body is external. And so in the sexual act, they're external. So the height of masculinity is sacrifice. The opposite of that is dominance. We can go down a whole thing there. But we're speaking of kind of the woman. The woman, the height of our femininity is our receptivity and our ability to bear life. And so we work with women all the time who, yeah, like you said, Virginia, you know, they, they, they don't feel feminine because they can, you know, outbench a guy, right? I, that's happened many times to me. Um, or they're more muscular or, you know, Kristen, they have trouble finding pants because they got these awesome soccer thighs. I get you. But, but, you know, you, I, we almost like give them permission, right, to accept that, wow, I am feminine and just as unique as I am is the way that I'm going to live that out, you know, and, and in sport, like you look at it and I realize, wow, every time I play, I'm being receptive to pain. If I'm on a team, I'm being receptive to my teammates. If you actually look how like men play basketball and women play basketball, it's different. Men are more individualistic. There's more the spirit of, of strength and, and sacrifice where women were actually more receptive to one another. It's a prettier game. There's more passing it's a very secular example, but it reveals, okay, there is a sexual difference, which is why we need to protect that within sport. And you can keep going with it, but we kind of found like, yeah, this teaching on the body, on femininity just has given myself, and I'm speaking a little bit for Tracy here, given us freedom to embrace our femininity and our athleticism, um, but, but really given a lot of freedom to just embrace the athletic woman that God created them to be. That is so cool. <laughs> Everything you just said, I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's so accurate. And it's it's true for soccer, too. They, you know, it's all about passing, not about just shooting from half field. Um, not that our men's team does that. Mm. But anywho, we've talked a lot about athletes. Um, <laughs> and so we've talked a lot about athletes today. Um, but you guys also have Fierce Coach, which is an amazing and newer, to my understanding, um, area of the, the Fierce Athlete um, organization. And Tracy, I, there's such a huge need. We've kind of already talked about this for coaches to shepherd their athletes, um, and to help them not only play well, but just, you know, be the best that they can be. So this question's specifically for you. Do most coaches understand how to coach female athletes well? And what does that look like? I've had a, a conversation recently. I was at a university having a conversation with one of their head coaches and I had spoke at something and the university had its athletic staff there, athletic trainers, strength coaches, and all the coaches. And there are maybe three female coaches, if that, maybe in the room. And so having this conversation, I know this head coach who was a female and talking to her about like the coaches in her conference and realizing that she's the minority still. And so, so you're starting with, do coaches know how to coach women? I don't think they, some do. And it's really beautiful to see when coaches like do it well, you know, we just celebrate them and they could be like a model and an example for others. But uh, Sam and I've had this conversation where maybe not, I don't, you know, I, I don't think many coaches because coaching women is different than coaching men. It's like the bond versus the battle. Mm -hmm. You know, you could motivate men in a certain way where if you try to do that with a woman, even though she says, okay, coach, yeah, you could get be hard on me and yell at me. Really, you're not really coaching her to the, to the fullest of her human person. So no. And then I think we need more female coaches as well. Uh, I'm a big advocate of women coaching women, not that men are, are wonderful and they could do such a wonderful job coaching women. Um, and have that beautiful relationship as well. But no, and, and I think it's like education. I think there needs to be more of a mentorship. And so, you know, maybe for, for coaches who have been coaching women um, for many, many years and that are doing it well, hopefully could step out and mentor and, and be an example uh, to these, these women or these coaches that are coming in as new coaches. But then alluding back to this conversation I had with this female coach, you know, Fierce Coach is new. Uh, I just started in January. Um, Sam and I have been talking about um, possibly me joining her in this awesome ministry. And we've known each other now for several years. And Sam has seen a need, and she could speak to this. She's seen a need uh, for coaches, mm -hmm. you know, for this ministry, for coaches, um, because they have such an impact in the lives of these young women. 
But so I'm just trying to prayerfully, you know, how can we do this to the best of our ability and serve these, these coaches? Um, And again, so alluding back to this conversation I had with this beautiful coach and she does such a phenomenal job. Like she's just like an epitome of of a coach that you'd want to have coaching your young women at the college level. And she said, uh, number one, she feels alone. Mm. You know, she's a head coach. She's, you know, the decisions stop with her. She's in charge. She's at a very competitive school. And so she feels alone. Secondly, she, she would love to see um, more help with her life balance. I think, you know, when, when you're coaching, um, it's just, it's all encompassing. And so for somebody to come alongside of her and to help with just to even guide her and mentor her spiritually. So you're guiding her in the coaching realm, but also kind of helping um, that spiritual aspect so she can make sure that she's just fully alive and in relationship with the Lord. And therefore she's able to pour out onto her athletes. And, um, and so some things that we would love to start doing is helping to mentor coaches. And I have a heart for bringing coaches together. And so right now it's kind of like, okay, how can I go and look throughout the nation and make these connections with these coaches uh, and just build community among them and start there. And, uh, you know, so they don't feel alone, you know? And so when, when issues rise up on their team, when they're dealing with athletes who may be dealing with same-sex attraction or, you know, this transgender ideology, they could be a help to each other as we're kind of as fierce as, as helping and mentoring them as well. Yeah. That's awesome. And the reason I, I directed that to you, Tracy, and, and not necessarily you, Sam, is because I know little bias to UConn here, <laughs> Gino, <laughs> but if you have anything to add, totally go for it. Yeah, please oh, add anything. Goodness. I mean, it's always been a, a goal of mine to have Tracy come work with me. I mean, as you can see, she's extremely impressive, well-spoken, gets it. Um, she's always from the early days of Pierce. Actually, funny story. Um, my sophomore year of college, I started getting involved with a Christian athlete organization. It wasn't necessarily the source of me coming back to the faith. I found that in a, in a Catholic organization. And, and um, But the, the missionary on campus was one of Tracy's college teammates. And so years and years ago, I heard about this woman, Tracy, who was also Catholic and vice versa. Tracy had heard about me, who was this like, you know, solitary Catholic athlete. It's like, quote, yeah. So we're like Catholics living. You guys are different. You're Catholic, but you're different, you know, because, yeah, we're living our faith by Yeah, so it's so funny. We are kind of distantly knew of each other. And then years later, uh, Tracy's had tremendous success, qualified for the Olympic trials and the marathon. I'll just put that in there um she kind of she kind of became famous and was just using her platform to preach the lord and so you know we kind of started conspiring and and over the years she's just been um a mentor of mine when it comes to coaches because what i'm seeing is there's kind of two sides to this um one you have you know more conservative christian or catholic universities or high schools where these universities are starting to hire for a culture fit because historically there's been a big divide between cultural campus culture and athletics culture. Um, And so a lot of these universities are seeking to bridge that and seeking to match that. So they're hiring good culture fits who don't have a lot of maybe experiencing coaching at the university level. So they need that level of mentorship. So I was starting to mentor them, which is great. But I, I haven't coached to the levels that Tracy has. So we're trying to put somebody in place who has that expertise. But then on the other side, you have a lot of these coaches who are at very secular institutions, um, you know, who are full of just the woke agenda. And they're kind of struggling with their own beliefs, their own morals. And, and how do I coach from a Catholic understanding, maybe without explicitly saying it, but just in regards to the human person and in regards to philosophy that Tracy just um, alluded to, how do I coach there and how do I not feel alone in doing that? And so um, that's kind of where fierce coach was birthed from and and Tracy being a natural fit. And we're just, yeah, seeking to, to grow that right now. Mm, I love it. So for those listening first, uh, Tracy, for anyone coaching, whether they're coaching at a middle school level or they are coaching at a college level, anywhere in between thinking, I want resources. I need help navigating this how can they do that? How can they get in touch with you? Please reach out. If you go to, and Sam probably explain it a little better, but we have uh, our website. So fierce, fierceathlete.org. And then we also have fiercecoach.org, which we're kind of continuing to build up, but there's so many resources that we have already out there. So please reach out, email me. I'll reach out to Sam. 
we would love to come alongside of you, help you mentor, serve in any way that we can. That's awesome. And and Sam, for athletes listening, whether they're in a, a Christian school that would you know host you all to come speak, or they're in a very secular school that would not want anything to do with you all, but they might say, hey, but I need help just as an athlete surviving on my team. How can they get plugged in? Sure. Yeah. Like Tracy said, um, we actually have an overarching website, fierce.org. So it's easy to remember. That'll direct you to either Fierce Athlete or Fierce Coach. Um, you can follow us on social media. On on the Fierce Athlete website is kind of all of our offerings, whether that's um, a clinic or a retreat, if, if that a talk, if that's something that you feel like your school would accept. Um, I've also spoken in very secular settings, so I, I know how to do that as well. Um, but if it's you know, you're kind of have to be a little bit more hidden about it. You're, you know, I, I do mentor a lot of women one-on-one. I mean, who are playing for, I mean, everywhere from middle school to pro, but, but usually pray, playing for secular universities or, or in secular settings and just helping support and mentor them. Um, we also have a podcast, the Fierce Athlete Podcast. Uh, and then I did just write a book uh, for athletes. It's called Be Fierce, The Athlete's Guide to Growing Physically, Mentally, and Spiritually. And, um, yeah, we've had a lot of athletes use it for themselves, use it in small groups. We've had coaches begin to use it, um, for their own growth, but for it's, it's very practical. Um, so just with their athletes for their growth. Um, so all that can be found on fierce.org and again, reach out. Like this is, this is why we do what we do to help serve athletes, coaches, parents around the world, really. And so we're, we're here for you. That's awesome. Well, we will put a link in today's show notes for your website as well as for the book and your podcast. Thank you all so much for what you're doing, for giving us your time today, and for being this well of resource for so many women who are just navigating the world of female sport right now. So appreciate the work you all are doing. Thank you. And thank you for being in, in it with us. Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to follow the work that you all are doing. And um, yeah, this is just incredible. But for all our listeners, stay tuned because up next, we crown our problematic woman of the week. Today, news you can trust feels like a rarity. That's why the Daily Signal podcast releases a top news edition every weekday at 5 p.m. Whether driving home from work, fixing dinner, or picking the kids up from soccer practice, you can stay informed on the headlines you care about. Every show is quick and succinct, designed to keep you up to speed on the issues that actually matter. Catch our top news edition right here in your Daily Signal podcast feed every evening. Or listen first thing in the morning before catching the day's interview. And be sure to subscribe on the Daily Signal podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, it is that time once again. My favorite time of the week. Time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to... Sage Steele. Sage has worked at ESPN for years. She was actually the co-host of ESPN Sports Center, but in 2021 was suspended by ESPN with pay. Um, they actually suspended her after she went on Jay Cutler's podcast. Specifically, she, you know, was talking about ESPN's COVID-19 vaccine mandates, and she was also, you know, a little critical of President Barack Obama, but who isn't at this point? Um, she, you know, she's a female reporter at ESPN, you know, using her free speech on a different podcast podcast and then all of a sudden was suspended with pay. Yeah. Crazy situation. So it was fascinating. So after she makes these comments criticizing ESPN's COVID-19 vaccine mandate and criticizing some other kind of leftist policies and people like former President Barack Obama, she makes these comments and Sage says that she was told if she wanted to keep her job, she needed to apologize So she actually did. She apologized. She issued a statement and said that she thought that that would be the end of it. But then she began to notice that opportunities were being taken away from her. So she actually sued the company on grounds that her First Amendment rights were violated. And last week, she announced on X, formerly Twitter, that she had left ESPN. She wrote, having successfully settled my case with ESPN slash Disney, I have decided to leave so I can exercise my First Amendment rights more freely. I am grateful for so many wonderful experiences over the past 16 years 
and am excited for my next chapter. So she told her full story on the Megan Kelly podcast. Definitely encourage our listeners to check that out because she goes into detail about what her experience was at ESPN, how she felt so sidelined after she had just expressed her opinions on her own time doing a podcast outside of her official ESPN role. Um, and she talks a little bit about getting the vaccine, sharing her thoughts, her opinions on it. So I just want to take a minute to play a clip from her conversation with Megan Kelly. I have a right to my opinion because yeah. I complied. I complied. I got it. I got the booster in order to go to the master's a couple months later. Like I did everything, um, I, but I'm allowed to have an opinion. Right. Right. Why aren't you allowed to say like that's the, exactly the thing you did what they asked you to do. There's there's no written rule that you then can't say I object to it. I don't like what I'm being made to do. And yet they tried to silence you. So they really did. They tried to silence her. They took opportunities away. And I think that point is so critical that both Megan Kelly and Sage Steele make a, you're allowed to have an opinion. Right. And we can we have talked on this show about the vaccine and, you know, whether or not government officials can tell you to get a shot and whether that's right or wrong. But they certainly can't say, well, you have to get it and you have to like it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's crazy. And I mean, who isn't critical of a president ever? You know, CNN right. all the time. They're talking. I mean, yes, it's a news station. But for the fact of the matter here is Disney, ESPN, you know, acting a lot like communist China. And that's scary. Major double standard. It's Very if you scary. don't say what we want you to say, you get canceled, you get silenced. And if it had been... If she had been criticizing certain other individuals, I don't think they would have batted their their eyelashes. In fact, they might have cheered her on, given her a promotion. Even. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, paid for her to go to the the masters and maybe even play in it. <laughs> like <laughs> you never know. But I just really applaud Sage Steele for for taking a stand for herself, and I think for letting letting her story be public to hold ESPN slash Disney accountable for their actions to bring awareness and slowly but surely my hope is that the needle will move on these issues as more people are willing to call out these major media powers and hold them accountable for their actions so with that that's going to do it for today's edition of problematic women join us next thursday morning for a brand new edition and in the meantime please subscribe and share as conservatives we need your support in the podcast world and would greatly appreciate a five-star review on apple Podcasts, spotify Castbox, wherever you like to listen it makes a huge difference thanks so much for listening have a great week Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.